0: Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.
1: Gaming in a digital space became the new playground. Kids couldn't play together on the physical playground, so games became their place to gather and hang out, right? It was Roblox or Fortnite or even our own Boca. We saw people playing together. Like Tokoboka last summer had explosive growth as well, because it went viral on TikTok. So a few users started actually creating stories in Toka Life World, which was you know creating a day in the life and then narrating it in a very TikTok way. And so Toka became their canvas to tell these stories about their lives and they would share it with their friends and, and it became this huge thing for us.
2: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the
3: founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero, and this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, I don't know why we've spent very little time talking about toys on the show given the explosive growth the category had during the pandemic, but I'm super excited that we're finally going to be talking about a category that's honestly, I think the analogy is it's like beauty in 2009. This category is going to continue to grow and there's so much innovation that's happening in the space. Yeah, and if you look at toys,
2: you got to look at games, you look at them together and over the course of the pandemic, there was lots of talk about Digital gaming, certainly, obviously, that was like the new virtual play date, but there was a lot of focus on physical toys as well. In fact, some of it was tied to like cool things that were happening elsewhere, you know, typical trend jacking stuff like When Queen's Gambit came out, there was like a massive spike in chess purchases. In fact, from the debut of the show until about Christmas time, we saw that searches for chess set
3: on Amazon rose by 857%. I love that. I have a chess set in my living room. And whenever people come over, they're like, oh, did you get that because of Queen's Gambit? I'm like, no, I've had this for years. Oh, my God. You're such a chess player. You're such a chess player. Like, I don't know if you play chess, but like you think chess. Yes, yes, it's true. No, but as you said, it's all forms of gaming. I mean, board games exploded, outdoor games exploded, video games exploded, e-learning with gaming exploded, and you look at a company like Spin Master, which traditionally has been, you know, one of the largest toy manufacturers, and you see how diversified their P and L is becoming because play is starting to take so many different forms. It just feels like the TAM for toys is expanding. Very much so. And, you know, it could be something at the use cases kind of
2: really diversify as well. Like Kinetic Sand, I believe, was made for kids. Mm -hmm. But oh, my gosh, it's such a self-soothing thing for me. Yeah. The tactile component of it. So I think the age recommendations for games might might need
3: a little bit of recasting. Absolutely. Uh, Well, I'm really excited to bring Laura onto the show. I think one of the most insightful things that I heard from her is that Toy trends are actually global. That the things that are working in the U.S. are also working in Russia. And I just love this universal truth that everyone likes to play in the same way.
2: Let's have her on and have a talk.
3: Laura Henderson, the EVP of Marketing at Spin Master. Hey, Laura. Hi. We're so excited to have you. And I didn't realize I didn't put two and two together that Sarah and you already knew each other from your Mondelez days. Yeah, we go way back to dunking in the dark and Oreo
1: and lots of fun things.
2: We did lots of fun things together. I was trying to come up with some sort of like Canadian twist, but I got nothing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Once we get going, I'm sure the puns will come out for you. Well, Laura, you know, before we dive in, you know, we're so excited to have you because obviously we both know you and are big champions of you and your career. We actually have never had anyone from the toy industry onto the show. So this is a cool first moment for us. Can you give our listeners some color into what is Spin Master? Sure.
1: Yeah. So Spin Master is known first and foremost as, as a toy company. So we started... Uh, just over 27 years ago. And we've since evolved to become a leading children's entertainment company. So today we now have three thriving creative centers. We've got toy, we have entertainment, and we have digital games. So the core of the business is really this understanding of play, how kids play and what they use it for and the benefits of play. And we use those unique insights to build magical play experiences for kids across lots of different art forms. So when you look at the company today almost 3 decades later we're you know we're global with offices in over 28 countries we distribute our toys and games in more than 100 markets and our entertainment properties are viewed in in over 190 countries. So we're really well known for innovation. That's kind of our our bread and butter and what we're known for in the industry whether that's stuff that we develop in-house or what we partner with external inventors on. Within toys we're probably best known for brands like Paw Patrol. If you have a preschooler, you will Absolutely recognize that one. Um, Kinetic Sand, Bakugan, Hatchimals, Air Hogs, and Gund. You may remember a precious Gund teddy from your childhood. Within games, we've got popular titles like Headbands and the Rubik's Cube, as well as lots of classic games like Chess and Checkers that, as you can imagine, have been really popular over the last year. And then our Spinmaster Entertainment Group is really focused on producing compelling multi-platform content. And we have an amazing team in-house that also partners with external creators, and they are responsible uh, for creating and producing the mega preschool hit of Paw Patrol, as well as a new preschool school hit called Mighty Express on Netflix, Bakugan, and seven other TV series. And then probably our newest line of business is within digital games. And uh, we're anchored there by two great brands in Boca and Sago Mini, which combined have over 50 million monthly active users.
2: Rachel plays them all. (laughs) Exactly. There's no question. Oh, except chess. (laughs) Queen's Bandit didn't get you. It got everybody else this year. Exactly. Paw Patrol is my thing. Okay. Okay. I'm just messing. I I think the only game Rachel would play would be chess. (laughs) A very cerebral game. To me, like, I mean, you guys have so many iconic games and brands and toys. Some more recent that my kids would recognize and some that I remember from growing up, like an Etch-a-Sketch or Gund or Rubik's Cube. There is a lot of nostalgia in that. And I think to a certain degree you know, digital games had had been growing and, and frankly were growing a lot during the pandemic, but like physical toys saw a significant increase in sales over the course of the pandemic. Do you think those purchasing behaviors are here to stay? Do you think kids are still gonna play with those physical toys once they can get the hell out of their houses, like what? Where, where do you see it going? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, we we really believe that toys and play are just a fundamental part of childhood. They were super crucial and important and essential during the pandemic, and I think will play an equally important role after. If you think about what's happened over the past year, I mean, it's been a wild ride, right? I was I was completely new to the toy business and to the children's business. I certainly had to dive in head first. Early on in the pandemic, you're right, Sarah, it was all about keeping kids busy. So it was parents buying games and activities and things that were going to pass the time as things like you know vacations and visits to theme parks and movie theaters, all that sort of was not an option. So there was more disposable income for, for toy. The other really interesting dynamic, and, and you mentioned it in terms of nostalgia, was that stores either shut down or parents not comfortable bringing their kids inside the parent or the shopper suddenly was playing a much bigger role. So typically, you know, what drives toy is a kid asking their parents for something that they really, really, really want to put on their Christmas or holiday list. This year, that was different. So parents, you know, turned online, they turned to nostalgic favorites, they turned to higher price points. Um, so you know there was some really interesting dynamics, and then later we actually saw you know I'm sure Rachel was a part of it, but you know new new buyers into the category. So the kid alts came and were engaging in the category in a really big way because they were also looking to relieve boredom and pass the time and you know create new co- new hobbies. So I think moving forward, toy isn't a really healthy place, right? They, they're going to be even more critical as we move out of the pandemic. What's fascinating is undoubtedly it's impacted so many people around the world. And when you look at the impact on kids over the past year, it's been profound, right? They're locked inside, they're away from their friends, they're tied to a screen. And child psychologists would tell you that that amount of play deprivation is actually, you know, quite dangerous and damaging in terms of, you know, leading to emotional dysregulation and social dysregulation. And so imaginative play, it plays such an important role in in kind of providing therapy for these kids and and getting back to normal and providing them a transition back to, to normal life. So I think, you know, you'll see categories that that had huge pandemic boosts like games and activities and outdoor toys will start to be more normalized but those that suffered especially lower price points and collectibles will do better i think we're going to see a major return to the playground Mm -hmm. and work mouth and you know toys that are played together um and ultimately holidays are always a time for parents and gifters to to spoil and, and delight kids and that didn't change last year we don't expect it to change moving forward
3: it's so true. Everything that you said about kids and their development and the lack of socialization. And it's so funny that I love this term "cadult." <laughs> I was uh, catching up with the mickmacker over dinner because she'd been with us for four years, and she told me about how her and her boyfriend are playing this multiplayer Xbox game, navigating a divorce. And I'm like, "This is a video game? I'm so out of touch! Like it's crazy." <laughs> You're totally right that there's this emerging, you know, demographic of cadult. Yeah. On the topic of emerging, you know, a lot of your brands are are available direct-to-consumer, but they're also available at mass retail. Yeah. And I'm just curious, strategically, how are you balancing those two channels within the toy industry? Yeah. So I'll say,
1: I mean, in general... E-commerce and online sales—it's like many other categories—has seen just explosive growth, and and we expect that to continue. It's you know we see it in the U.S., we see it even more predominantly in Europe, and um and we think that'll continue. I mean, just to ground us for a second in how toys are shopped and toy, is all about the item. It's all about the magic of that toy that the kid is going to ask for and put on their list that the parent will do anything to find, you know, wherever it's available. So for us, the goal is really about maximizing and facilitating that shopper experience, whether it's in a physical or a virtual toy aisle and for us and for our shoppers, that mainly means through retailers and their dot-com experiences, because that's you know, how they're shopping the category today. So it's about you know, get it discovered, guide shoppers through that journey who are trying to figure out what their kid was asking for, what's appropriate for this age, and, and then delight them with amazing content that's going to demonstrate the magic of that toy. So for direct-to-consumer, you know, there's certain instances where it makes sense, but not necessarily all across the board. So where there's higher price points, where there's a premium or more elevated experience, or where there's brand-led shopping, like on a brand like GUND, for example. So where you can offer something deeper or or more unique for super fans that they can't get at retail. So we think of, of our websites and our direct to consumer channels as part of just an overall consumer experience. So we have that direct line of communication with shoppers and then we can use you know, that data and that experience to better optimize their overall journey with us.
2: I'm glad you brought up age appropriateness. (laughs) Not so funny story, having nothing to do with Spin Master, but just buying toys about age inappropriate. For the holidays one year, my niece, who was in her early teens, asked my mother for Cards Against Humanity. And my mom just like went on Amazon, bought it, didn't think twice about it, gave it to her. And like at the family holiday party, (laughs) she opened it up. I think she was like 14 at the time. Those of us who knew what Cards Against Humanity were like just took like a major like <gasps> like, like crazy gasp like oh my god are you are, are, you, are you kidding me mom that's happening <laughs> mom's like a super prude oh yeah that's, you haven't lived unless you have played Cards Against
1: Humanity with your grandma
2: yeah exactly <laughs> I, and so my sister in law was like that's just not happening. Like we're not, we're we're gonna have to go return this, and it it was it it seriously was like a it was hilarious from the outside in. But man, I'm glad I wasn't the parent of the kid on that one. So age appropriateness really does uh, continue into your older years for sure. Um, But I think you raise a very good point about the role of the .dot com channel as part of the part of the journey and part of the education. And perhaps if my mother would have visited cardsagainsthumanity.com, she would know a little better. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Or would have been targeted a bit
2: more appropriately off, off of that site. <laughs> yes, perhaps you might want to consider apples to apples. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I tend to take the, the podcast off course from time to time. Let's get back into the actual business of the business. So the, there is a dynamic in toys where summer sales can give you an early indication as to what's going to be hot during the holidays. And I always have been fascinated by, you know, trying to figure out what's going to be the it toy of the year. And I'm curious, like, to, to understand kind of what goes on behind that. You are our first toy guest here uh, on Brave Commerce. We'd love to kind of get an understanding of, like, what what's, what's the belly of the beast on that? And, like, where does Prime Day even figure into this if at all.
1: Yeah, I mean toy is a really interesting category when you think about the consumer and the shopper, right? Your your consumer is with you for a very short period of time. They're constantly aging out. You're constantly looking for, you know, new kids and and fans. And it's all about the hot Toy for that season, very very trend led. As you can imagine, toys very heavily Q4 around holidays. And you know, as a consumer, as a shopper, when you start to hear Christmas music at uh, Thanksgiving or Halloween, you kind of roll your eyes. But the reality is that holiday season has been expanding, right, both earlier and later, especially last year, which was driven a lot by you know these retailers pushing forward with with price promotion. so that started to change uh, some of the behavior so you're right you know summer does play an important role in predicting the outlook of the season Very early, you know, you think June, July, August, you know, we're we're looking very closely at our POS velocity. So it's not typically when toys are shopped in in huge volume, but it does give you an indicator of whether something has traction or not. And that early traction is critical because you need a strong baseline on a brand or a toy. That, you know, when seasonality curves start to take over later in Q3 and Q4, you need that base to be high enough that, that you can be carried through the season. This is also when retailers are keeping a really close eye on performance. So they're deciding what they want to lean in on, what, what they may need more inventory of or what they want to pull back on. And so they they and we are watching very closely at, at performance and, and being pretty surgical um, at this time of the year you know, putting the most hardworking media we can against our most important brands to generate demand and and then, you know, very targeted placements to drive conversion. So for Prime Day, you know, this year in, in June, obviously, it's an important kind of kickoff to the season, so to speak, even, even though it's in June, hmm. a lot of the the new items for fall, you know, don't set until a little bit later, but this, this activity and the price promotion around it is an important tool for parents and kids, you know, to discover what's new in the category coming up this fall.
3: Hmm. If I was a person who is transitioning into toys, would it make sense to say that sort of the the big moments in the media calendar are prime day, like, August, early fall, and then holiday?
1: Yeah, I mean, those are those are your big moments. There's moments for toy across the year. Like if you think about even into January, the use of gift cards and redeeming if grandma or grandpa got you a gift card, because they didn't know what to get you, you can then go back and get that hot toy or leading into Easter or birthdays. So there's, there's definitely moments across the year, but the lead up to holiday is is the most critical.
3: You know, when we were, were talking about changes that you saw in the business because of the pandemic, you spoke about experiences and outdoor, but given that Spinmaster has such global reach. Curious if there are trends in toys that are differ country by country that could give insight to a lot of our listeners.
1: The interesting thing and and maybe not surprising thing in children's entertainment is that there's a lot that's really universal, right? Great stories and characters and experiences Hmm. that fuel imagination. That's what works globally. And that's more important over the last year and a half than, you know, than ever. I can dip on a couple of trends that we're keeping an eye on one, you know, around toy. and, And we talked about this, this play deprivation. And and what we're seeing is that people are leaning on toys, not just for fun, but on this healthy dose of emotional support and wellness, especially in a time of stress and uncertainty. So it was fascinating at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw Paw Patrol, which is a preschool property, you know, two, three, four-year-olds showing up as a top show for older kids who are eight plus. And what was fascinating was it had become this form of emotional chicken soup. Right. They were using it as a form of therapy of things that were, you know, more more normal and, and familiar. Mm. And so in toy, one of the ways this is manifested is through sensory play and ASMR and fidget toys. So there's this whole space around social and emotional learning. And we, we saw this on our kinetic uh, sand brand, for example, huge explosive growth during the pandemic first, because parents just wanted to keep their kids busy, but then they fell in love with this like free flowing creativity. It's totally mesmerizing and
2: fun to play with it. Yeah. I love it. It's so
1: good, right? Yes.
2: Also it's very tactile. Yes. And so if you're a fidgety person like myself, better to be doing that than other things. And you feel creative when you're doing it totally it
1: it puts you in this state of flow puts you in the right frame of mind it's therapeutic it's mesmerizing and it's what's interesting there's this huge trend online around ASMR with kinetic fans. yeah
3: i was just going to say this is like all of instagram reels yes cutting yeah. smushing yeah you know,
1: really loud volume of the sand crunching in your fingers. And so what we do is sort of watch those trends and then recreate it in play sets. I mean, we've even seen Charlie D'Amelio a couple of months ago, organically created all this content around both Kinetic Sand and Orbeez, which is another one of our, our brands. She filled a heart-shaped pool with tens of thousands of, of Orbeez to sit in. So there's this universal thing around the, the sensory kind of therapy of, of some of these toys. So that's been big. And then in digital games, you know, we're really starting to see games as a service emerging. So it's not just about playing a game to win or to earn points or whatever, but gaming in a digital space became the new playground, right? Like kids couldn't play together on the physical playground. So games became their place to gather and hang out, right? It was Roblox or Fortnite or even our own Boca. We saw people playing together. Like Boca last summer had explosive growth as well, because it went viral on TikTok. So a few users started actually creating stories in Toka Life World, which was, you know, creating a day in the life and then narrating it in a very TikTok way. And so Toka became their canvas to tell these stories about their lives, and they would share it with their friends. And and it became this huge thing for us. Yep. And then the last thing I would say is sort of physical experiences. And I think we're going to see the return of physical experiences and quality time in a big way. There was a a piece in The Economist recently that it said something like, um, you know, I'm spending more time with my kids than ever and nobody's enjoying it. (laughs) And so there's this shift from, you know, wanting quantity time to quality time. And, And I think those physical experiences that deliver that are a great way to do it. I mean, one example, and, and I know you guys know know them well, is Camp, which is you know founded by my friend, uh, Ben Kaufman, which is a family experience store. And he would say traffic is roaring back in a big way. And so for us, that's great news, right? We have the the first ever Paw Patrol movie hitting theaters this summer. And we think that'll be a big moment for kids and families to gather and experience something outside the house.
3: Well, I'm happy to hear that because love Ben and, and everything that Camp stands for. Yeah. Laura, you know, Sarah and I both know you well, but not too well. So I'm curious how you're going to answer this question. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Um, This is actually pretty easy. It was um,
1: throwing a guy out of a plane uh, at 25,000 feet without a parachute. What? (laughs) (laughs) I should probably explain. Um, And him landing was probably the least of my concerns. But um, back in the Mondelez days, one of my, my last role was creating this media monetization model. So it was this idea that it's becoming harder and harder to reach consumers, right? They're skipping ads and blocking ads and And so we need to create a model where we earn attention. And and the bar that we set for ourselves was, can we create content that's good enough to make money? Because if it's good enough to make money, it's good enough to earn attention. So we tried lots of stuff. I mean, digital apps. We did a partnership with BuzzFeed to produce Goodful, which is like the tasty for health and wellness. And then... We all culminated in this live TV stunt with a a world-famous skydiver who jumped from a plane at 25,000 feet with no parachute to support the relaunch of Stride Gum, which was all about mad intensity. The question, obviously, can he physically do this? Is that possible? But even bigger, like, can we get it made? Can we get it funded? Will it get on air? Will it generate some revenue? And you can imagine for a big packaged goods company, that's a big that's a big risk for our brand, for our company. And ultimately for me, I mean, my name was tied all over it. So there was a lot of nerves along the way. And, um, you know, up until even days before we had SAG try to shut us down, we almost didn't make it to air, but you know, ultimately he, uh, he landed safely. we did get it on air. We generated some money. We had over a billion impressions and I got a lot more gray hair. <laughs> Crazy story. I save it just for that question. Yeah.
3: Well done. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much. I mean, everything that you shared, the entrepreneurial spirit in me, I'm like, I just want to start launching toy brands because this industry is about to explode. It's amazing to see everything that you're leading the way with Spin Master. And we look forward to probably picking your brain again when we get closer to the holiday season. We'd love that. We'd love to see you live in person.
2: Thanks for listening.
3: Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on
2: Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend.